Good morning, Soma. Let's take out our Bibles open to Galatians 4. We'll be looking at Galatians 4, 1 through 7. We talked previously, I had mentioned the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. Prince Charles, as Prince of Wales, was automatically promoted to king upon the death of the queen. So the position of the Prince of Wales was vacant. One of the first actions by King Charles was to promote Prince William, the Prince of Cambridge, to the position of the Prince of Wales. The Prince of Wales is the position of the king-in-waiting. Charles had also decided his title shall be King Charles III. He could choose to use any of his four given names, Charles, Philip, Arthur, George. Charles used a traditional naming convention of his given name first, then his father, then his paternal grandfather, then his maternal grandfather. It's a very German thing. Um, Leanne's middle sister actually did the same thing for her children. So they have uh, four names. First name and then three middle names. Um, Charles had a very long wait to become king, but now as heir, he is the king with the full rights and privileges of the reigning monarch of the United Kingdom. Um, very funny story, I actually got to meet Charles in 1976. Um, we were living in Australia and he came on a visit and I happened to end up in a receiving line and, and uh, got to meet the Prince Charles then, now the king. So let's go ahead and begin with Galatians 4, verse 1. And this is about sons and heirs. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. The child of the owner is obviously more than a slave, yet in many ways the two positions are similar, the slave and the child. Neither controls the direction of their lives. Um, I saw an interesting thing talking about animals. You know, you own a dog. Same sort of thing, right? The dog goes where you allow the dog to go. And um, most of the time. <laughs> we've all had uh, our share of willful dogs, right? We know how that goes. <laughs> but usually we find some, some compromise medium where uh, everybody is, is reasonably happy. Paul has been drawing the distinction between the old covenant and the new, and that of the era of Moses and now under Christ. In Galatians 3.23, Paul refers to the law as being like a prison. The law existed to put boundaries around God's people. In ancient times, and even in modern times, just as we had discussed, the wealthy would hand over control of the property to the heir, and those would be handed over to guardians if the heir was a minor. As a child, the oldest son knew he would inherit the estate, though he did not yet control it. The estate belongs to him by title, though not by actual possession of it. 
Such young men did not control much of their lives. They're told when to get up, what to wear, when to go to school, how to behave, when to go to bed. Until he came of age, he would be referred to as the young master. Eventually, the young master would receive his full inheritance as designated by the parents. Continuing on to verse 3. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Here in verse 3, Paul is giving a remedial lesson to the Judaizers who would elevate the law to a necessary principle of salvation. They were trying to sell this idea of being, becoming Jews as being sort of the postgraduate school of being a Christian. They did not understand what Paul understood. Paul was saying that the law was a more rudimentary culture of living than that of freedom in Christ. In the end, children grow out of their elementary education. For the Galatians to become full heirs meant they had to advance beyond the law. You see, God's people had always been sons and daughters. They had always been heirs to the kingdom as the people of God. So the day came when they had to leave behind their infancy of the law and to become full members of the kingdom with full spiritual maturity. Verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law. The key event that promotes us from infancy to full maturity is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the fullness of time, I really like that phrase, because God sends his son to us. While Rome uses Latin as its legal language, Greek is the almost universal language in the world at that time. Jewish scholars to the senators of Rome all read and wrote Greek. They understood it as nearly the universal language. Rome had control of most of the educated and known world, including two of the great ancient empires, Egypt and Babylon. China is the only ancient empire left out. From the Atlantic coast of Spain, and actually beyond to the Canary Islands, all the way to the Indus River, and from Ethiopia to the Baltic coast and the British Isles, Roman trade encompassed all of it and the Greek language. We consider the brutality of the Roman Empire today to be rather uncivilized. But the peace of Rome, Pax Romana, had an actually a very dramatic effect. The world population doubled in those 450 years under the rule of Rome. We don't tend to think about that very much, but the peace of Rome actually meant quite a bit to the civilized world. The world population doubled under the rule of Rome, and that is right around, it's, it's less than 500 years. And as Rome expanded, so too did Christianity. Continuing on in verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Paul uses another metaphor here for what is going on. To receive adoption as sons and daughters, adoption is a legal term, 
and it confers all the rights and privileges of being natural born on those who are the adopted. Jesus is the natural born heir to the kingdom of heaven. He is born as the son of the father. And we, the church, are the adopted sons and daughters. Adoption is why when we stand before God, the Lord sees us, except he sees Jesus covering us. Romans 8:17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Justification here is the basic principle on which adoption is based. Adoption is the free gift of Christ. John 1, 12 and 13. John 1, 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In and through Jesus, the Father loves his adopted children exactly as he loves his only son, Jesus. And we, as the church and the adopted heirs, will share in the glory that belongs to Jesus. Romans 8, 38 and 39. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. As members of the people of God, we have three responsibilities. One, we pray to God as our own Father in heaven. Matthew 6.26, Matthew 6.26, Jesus is giving a lesson. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Hebrews 12.5-11, Hebrews 12.5-11. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when, being, when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, and we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it.
Second, we imitate the virtues of the Lord. Matthew 5, 44 to 48. Matthew 5, 44 to 48. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew 5, 12 to 15. Matthew 5, 12 to 15. You'll immediately recognize this passage as the last half of a prayer that we all know. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Matthew 18, 21 to 25. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. Ephesians 4, 32 through 5, 2. Ephesians 4, 32 to 5, 2. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And number three, we are to trust his fatherly love. Romans 8, 15 to 17. Romans 8, 15 to 17. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And then Galatians 4, 6, the next verse. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son to our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Later, Paul writes to the Romans, Romans 8, 14 and 15, Romans 8, 
14 and 15, we read, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. We call the Father Abba because of the redemption and justification through Jesus. Because we are covered by the blood of Jesus. Continuing on in Galatians 4 to the last verse. Verse 7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Because of adoption, we are no longer a slave, but we are children of the living God. Adoption and regeneration accompany each other as free gifts with salvation. The salvation we receive freely from Jesus Christ. John 1, 12 to 13. John 1, 12 to 13. But to who all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Adoption brings a new relationship between us and God. Regeneration is an inward change of our moral self. The connection here is apparent to us. God desires for us, his children, to whom he loves, to show his character and to share his love. Paul shows us faith that leads to adoption. The law was necessary, but it was not complete. There was something greater, something that the church had to wait for. The law was there until faith came. Jesus comes and covers us with redemption and justification and adoption. This is why Paul is writing to the Galatian church to protect their understanding of the fundamental doctrines of Christianity. Paul guards them with great determination. Paul is protecting the Galatians with his letter. He proclaims this new thing that has come from the Lord. The Lord makes the paths of righteousness and justice. God is bringing in all of his church. God is completely just to do whatever he wills. And at the same time, God is wholly faithful to us. God knows the only way that sin can be atoned for and that way is through his Son. And this is for the redemption of all of God's people, for the salvation of God's people. And this is the message Paul is yelling at the Galatians, I and all of us, about. He's, he's yelling at all of us, actually. God knows the one who can pay for all sins, from eternity past, through the present, to eternity in the future. God knows who this person is. And God knows that his son, his only son, is just and true and can stand in the gap for all the sins of God's people. Jesus is the one, the servant, 
the crown prince, the king, not created and not made, having forgone his kingdom and his crown and his throne, he comes down to earth to live a very common life as an example for us. Jesus is the one who comes, the servant, the son of God, and the eternal king, forever sovereign. Let's pray. Almighty Lord, how amazing are Paul's words here. How they lean deeply into us. That we have a greater understanding of what is happening. When Jesus comes down and lives this very common, very poor life, and he forgoes all of his heavenly authority that he had been granted by the Father. He is the heir. The kingdom becomes his. He pays for the sins of all of the world and brings in all of his people, his church. What an incredible image, Lord, the new Jerusalem coming down, Jesus welcoming all of his people into the throne room before the Father to sing praise and worship to the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost forever, for all eternity. How amazing, what an incredible image. Paul is protecting us. He's protecting the Galatians. And he's working very hard to make sure that we do not wander astray. Lord, carve Paul's words deep down inside of us because we know you gave Paul those words. Those are your words. It is for your kingdom and for your glory and your honor. And we bless you and we honor you, Lord. Amen.